Welcome to Emerge Everywhere. I'm Jennifer Tesher, journalist turned financial health champion. As founder and CEO of the Financial Health Network, I've spent my career connecting forward-thinking leaders to the growing FinHealth movement. Now I'm sharing these conversations with you. Discover how these visionaries are challenging the status quo and improving financial health for their customers, employees, and communities. There are few people that understand the vision behind financial health more than my guest today, Brandy McHale. Brandy and I have known each other for over two decades, and we've conspired on numerous efforts to change hearts and minds by sharing the data and stories behind the financial lives of the financially challenged and excluded. Now, as the head of city community investing and development and the president of the City Foundation, Brandy channels her knack for seeing trends and forming trusted partnerships into positive, measurable change. Brandy, welcome to Emerge Everywhere. Thank you. Thank you for having me here today. Um, I want to dive right in. We could talk for hours. Uh, we've known each other now for, gosh, over 20 years, and we've collaborated together on a, a number of projects. Um, you've been at City in different roles for most of that time, uh, mostly focused on community investment, community engagement. You were at the Ford Foundation for a time where we worked together. Um, gosh, your commitment to all of the ways that we need to be improving the lives of the underserved uh, is just sort of woven into who you are. I I've never known you doing anything but this work. Um, and I wonder if you'd be able to talk a little bit about where this passion comes from. Is this a calling you always knew you had? So thank you so much for the question. I love the opportunity to be able to just talk a little bit from a personal level about why this work matters so much. So we've been friends for a long time, something that you may not know about me, which is that um, I left high school. I have a high school equivalency. I went back to school, started taking classes at a local uh, community college, went on to a local university. And through a series of events and connections, I was able to get my life back on track. Um, that incident did not derail me. And what always stuck with me was what, was what was it about my life that allowed me to not derail and that there were more on-ramps back on the path to opportunity than there were off-ramps. And there are a lot of probably reasons why I now understand that I had access to social capital, that I didn't really understand the power of that. I think that there are um, racial factors that matter. Uh, so different, different influencers, but it's always driven me. The idea we hear often, everybody is born with potential, but not opportunity. And so I've always been committed to seeing how do we level the playing field for everyone. Thank you for sharing that, Brandy. The fact that you could recognize uh, that despite the challenges you might've had, that you still were lucky is I think uh, really something. Uh, something that I wish more people sort of had that kind of empathy and insight around. Now, you and the City Foundation have been long advocates of using data to understand the real financial lives of everyday Americans. First, with co-sponsoring the Financial Diaries work that we did together, where we followed 200 plus families over the course of a year to understand uh, the decisions and choices they made about the money that flowed in and out of their households, really groundbreaking research. And now as sponsors of the Financial Health Pulse alongside Principal Financial. And as you know, we just released 
the 2021 uh, Financial Health Pulse, showed that just over a third of Americans are financially healthy. It's a slight increase and the highest level that uh, since we've been measuring, which is a little bit counterintuitive given that we're in a pandemic. Uh, but two thirds of Americans still remain financially unhealthy. And I wanted you to talk a little bit about why you think this kind of data and insights is so important. Well, I think that you said something just now that is so important. It's data and insights. That without the analysis and the work that organizations like the Financial Health Network do to help make sense of all of this information and cut through in a very noisy world, um, the data is just another set of numbers and information. But I also think because we're living in a time with many competing interests, there is so much discord, such a lack of agreement on things that we do need the data to bolster our points and to bolster our evidence. You know, resources are continue to be scarce, but consensus continues to be scarcer. Mm -hmm. And I think that the data helps to create a ground where people can come together, almost depoliticize the information and say, what actually are the facts? We also know facts alone don't necessarily drive the outcomes uh, and the behaviors and the choices that we're looking for. So again, I'm a big believer in both data and then putting that data in the hands of change agents who can use that information effectively. Right, so a little bit hearts and minds. We need Absolutely. the data and we need the stories. Um, and then we need to not just have it sit there, but we've got to make sure we're leveraging it. Yeah. The Pulse data that we just published also found that thanks in large part to government aid and all of the stimulus during the pandemic, uh, Black and Latinx individuals saw meaningful improvement in their financial health between 2020 and 2021. Uh, but still there are enormous gaps in financial health. So while 39% of white individuals are financially healthy, only 21% of black individuals and 24% of Latinx individuals are. Like a lot of other large banks, Citi has made significant commitments in the last year or two towards bridging the racial wealth gap. And I know it's a very big focus of yours in your role today. How do we continue to build on the momentum, which some fear is frankly already waning uh, you know, the government can just literally print more money and send it to financially strapped Americans. That's what they did during the pandemic uh, to good effect. What can city and other companies do to drive real change as it relates to the racial wealth gap? Well, I think first and foremost, it's not just about what additional things we can do, but let's step back and look at what we do day in, day in and day out and how do we do those things differently. So we're being very intentional. I'm someone, um, you know, maybe this is why I'm not actually in the product development side of the bank, but I sort of come to work in, every day and think, we actually probably have every single product out there that anybody could need. But how do we actually change how we distribute products? How do we change how we bridge the trust gap that still exists? How do we take ownership of the fact that there is that trust gap? How do, we, how do we employ people who can both be representatives for our financial institution, but also build that trust in a, in a, and again, approach it in a very different way? So um, I think we need to start by being intentional and not being afraid to call this out. 
I think that there is still, we are, we are at city. It's a topic where we're learning to be comfortable being uncomfortable. What I'm hoping though, is that that's not where we get stuck, that we're actually going to get to a place where we are comfortable calling out these disparities and looking behind to say, what is our role as an institution, as an industry, and what can we do differently? I do think that, and I'm optimistic, that we're actually beginning to see some positive outcomes from this increased awareness and intentionality. And I'm hoping that the perception and the sense of more financial health and financial security is actually related to the fact that we are changing the trajectory in terms of diversity and hiring, that we are looking at closing pay gaps, that we are looking at closing the opportunity gap. So I think we're on to the start of something very big, but we should still recognize it's a long journey. It will not be a one, on, one and done. And we need to look at this again at our own choices on a long-term basis. I appreciate you talking about the process, that in some ways, the process here may be even more important than the product, if you will. Um, I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what it's been like internally to have those hard conversations and to start to change that culture. City isn't unique in this regard in terms of being comfortable, being uncomfortable. Uh, but I wonder if you can give a little bit of some, a little bit of an inside view of what that looks like, how an enormous firm like yours, a global firm sort of goes about that. Yeah. You know, our CEO, Jane Frazier, right before she became CEO, when we were thinking about how is it that we respond to the events of May 2020 and the murder of George Floyd, we knew instinctively that philanthropy was important, but totally insufficient to respond to the systemic challenges of racial uh, injustice and inequity. And Jane said something in a meeting when we were, again, coming up with ideas and, and trying to figure out what to do. And she said, Brandy, let's not forget that this is not just a challenge that we need to solve, but an opportunity to be seized. And so if we only take a problem-solving mindset to all of this, I believe we're gonna only get so far. Demographics in this country are changing, consumer preferences continue to change. And so that's one of the things that we've done is to say, um, this isn't just responding, being responsive to a crisis or adapting to a regulatory change or a requirement, but really choosing to say, how do we put racially diverse consumers and institutions at the center of our business approach. And, you know, that's been the challenge is, and to also recognize that the same way we've done it in the past is only going to get us to the same outcomes. So we've been talking largely about um, uh, racial inequities, but as you know, there are inequities around all different forms of our identities. Uh, and the pulse data really gets into that, whether that's around gender, sexual identity, ability, race, ethnicity. And I want to talk for a minute about gender because there is a widening gap there. The data shows that only 26% of women are financially healthy compared to 43% of men. And the gap really widened in 2021 because of employment disruptions and childcare responsibilities brought on by the pandemic. 
Now, Citi has been a leader in disclosing the results of its annual pay gap analysis. That's, I think that's been happening now for several years um, and doing the work then to close that gap for women. And just the other day, the company announced that it would be the first large bank to undertake a racial equity audit. And I wanted to pick up on the comments you were just making a moment ago about um, Jane um, and the role of the CEO, because uh, from the outside, I think a lot of us wonder how do actions like these ultimately come about, right? How much of this is about the personality or the passion of the CEO? Um, is it the board? And what will it take to see more companies step up in the way uh, that City has in this regard? Well, this is something I often think about myself at 3 a.m. You know, how, <laughs> how to be an internal change agent and how does that happen? And what are the levers of success? And what I will say is that it, does, it actually, I've never really seen it happen overnight. You know, the work that we've done on closing the racial wealth gap didn't actually start in May, 2020. It started many years before through partnerships in the community, through focus uh, sponsoring research by really building our own expertise so that when there was that moment, we ha had ideas where we could act. We weren't paralyzed by a crisis. We actually said, let's use this crisis moment and when we have everyone's attention to actually put forward something bold. But it also really helps when you have leadership that is pushing you to be bold. We are going through an incredible transformation in our company where questioning the status quo is what is expected of every leader. I think that's the transformation we're going through in our country. That's what we're expecting from our elected officials. It's what we're expecting from our community leaders. And so that's the, the a very interesting trend that I, as a, a leader in this very large company, I actually feel empowered to be questioning the status quo, to be coming up with bold ideas. That bigger culture shift starts from the top, but it has to permeate throughout the company. So, um, I definitely see myself, I have a, a, an externally focused job title, but 100% I see myself getting up every day and I am here to be an internal change agent. And when you have somebody at the top who is empowering you to be bold, even if the answer is no, we're not gonna do this, um, that's I think a really winning combination for success. So as a female leader, in what is historically been more of a man's world, let's just be honest about that, banking and finance. How does it feel now to have a woman at the top? Um, you know, really the first very large bank to be led by a woman. And is there something palpable that you can feel just by having a woman at the helm for the first time? You know, it's interesting. It's such an incredible source of of pride for us. I'm so happy to be part of the institution during this moment. But I will just say that there have been so many women who have broken ground in our company over the years that this feels like another milestone as opposed to the moment or the milestone. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it's funny. It's, it's, I guess it's, it was possible because it never really felt like it was going to be impossible in our company because as a woman, 
I really, especially in the past five, six, seven, eight, ten 10 years, have really felt not only do I have a seat at the table, but the diversity of thought and voice and opinion was really encouraged. Mm. So it, while we are so proud and we see the recognition externally, um, it, this type of thing doesn't necessarily happen overnight. And, and frankly, I kind of grew up in this company and it never occurred to me that maybe one, you know, that I, there was nothing I wouldn't really ever be able to do. Does that mean I, there were moments where I didn't feel intimidated or didn't feel comfortable with my voice and had to find my voice? Absolutely. Is it easier today? Absolutely. Mm. But is it less challenging? No. Yeah. Well, you know, I think back to one of your earliest mentors at City, the great Janet Thompson, and you've really had the privilege of being surrounded by incredibly strong women leaders uh, for much of your career. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and following Janet was Pam Flaherty. And the thing I always say to people about Pam is that Pam, while she may not have been the CEO of, of City, she ran the consumer bank for what was then City Corp. And I will never forget, you know, at a time where women didn't wear, you know, pants, literally did not wear pants to work. You know, we wore skirts, we wore, we wore dresses. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of trailblazers over the, over the years. Yeah. In fact, it's funny now that you say it, when I think about Pam, I think of her headshot with that black turtleneck. It was sort of, she was like the Steve Jobs of her time in a way. Yes. Very iconic. (laughs) So Beyond your internal role at City, you are regularly engaged with other leaders in both business and philanthropy, uh, broadly speaking, on all of these issues. And my gosh, we haven't even talked about climate change, which I know is a, also a very big focus for you. There have been lots of commitments made, lots of conversations, and we've seen a few early leaders embrace stakeholder capitalism more broadly. But I wonder if you could talk for a minute about the connection between business and philanthropy in solving these challenges that we've been talking about. Um, Is philanthropy really still the ones doing the heavy lifting here? Is business doing enough? How do you think about the interconnection, the intersection between those two things? So I think that philanthropy continues to be the place where you have the space to think, to challenge ideas, to, to learn and to really test out in a safe way, ideas that should be scaled through the private sector. And, you know, we're a big believer that our role in driving positive societal impact, we have to lead with our core business capabilities. That is the only way that we will find sustainable, scalable efforts. And frankly, that's really where we can add the most value. That's where we have the capital and the expertise to really make a meaningful difference. But philanthropy is incredibly important because it's it's not really the venture capital. It's the place for venture ideas. Mm. I think that we think of it as along a spectrum. And, you know, I think that we're meeting more in the middle. Philanthropy is looking a little bit more like business, which is okay. But I think what's even better is that business is is looking a little bit more like philanthropy. Mm. That's interesting. One of your superpowers, Brandy, is your ability to really zoom out and see the big picture. Um, And as you declared yourself earlier in our conversation, you're really an optimist. 
And so as we close, I'd really love to get you to reflect on the future. This is a hard time to be um, a leader or a citizen for that matter. And even if we're able to push back successfully against the pandemic, we're in an era of great challenge on just so many fronts. And I'd love to hear more about what you think is the North Star as we work to make a difference in the world. What, what are we aiming for? And how do we stay resilient or optimistic um, on our quest to get there? Yeah, that's a really, it's a great question. A few, a few years ago, uh, we participated in a project together with the Federal Reserve Bank uh, on a book around <laughs> financial health, financial inclusion. And right. I wrote a chapter that um, I hope will be my sort of, you know, my signature tagline. And the chapter was entitled, So What? <laughs> and the, the, the chapter went on to talk about how we've been so overly focused on what is the evidence that shows it's working? What is the evidence that shows that we actually have ideas that can go to scale? And while I believe that that is really important, I'm more than ever, we'll go back to where we started a few moments ago, where we said thinking about winning hearts and minds. I think that continuing to put forward a vision where people believe in the possibility that the things that they wanna see happen, that they have the ability to make that happen. I don't wanna discount that. I spent many years in this work thinking about very broad systemic change. And I've now come back a little to, you know what? Personal hope, optimism, self-efficacy, empowerment actually is just as important. When we lose hope, we see what happens. We've lost hope and faith in our public systems and our political systems and look where we are. So I'm a big believer that actually small success stories can actually can have a powerful outcome. Um, and I do think that as we move forward, we need to keep raising up stories that show that the impossible is possible. And I think we need to also raise up stories that show how when we work collectively, that we actually can accomplish more faster. I don't know that we'll ever reach our end goal, but perhaps that's the point is to actually keep refueling ourselves so we can keep on this journey because it's going to always evolve. There is no end point. The end point is continuous improvement and advancement and mobility. And we just need to keep fortifying ourselves with these small wins along the way and, and continue forward. Ah, oh, Brandy, you inspire me every time we talk and I've known each other a long time. So thank you. That's a perfect way to end our conversation. And I appreciate you joining me on Emerge Everywhere. Thank you. This has been Emerge Everywhere, a Financial Health Network production. If you like the show, please help spread the financial health message by leaving a review. And if you have ideas for future guests or thoughts on the show, please click on the link in the show notes to connect with us. See you next time.